The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. It's Sarah Burke here, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today, she's an actress and a comedian. She has tons of on-screen credits, including Global TV's Private Eyes, What We Do in the Shadows on FX, Hudson and Rex, and she's Camille Pham on CBC's Run the Burbs. Racky Mozeria is with me today. Here I am. I should also add to the credit list, she is my former colleague at American Eagle, Hillcrest Mall in Richmond Hill. Let's go, American Eagle. <laughs> it's so amazing watching what you have done since I last saw you. I don't know the last time that I saw you or talked to you. I'm going to say 15 years. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be 15 years. And I thought we went to school together too, didn't we? Did you go to Baythorn? Oh, yes, we did go to Baythorn together. But we weren't in the same year, but we went to Baythorn together. Yeah, I think, I think you're, you were one year behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Good memory. I forgot about that completely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So back when we were folding denim yeah. at American Eagle, I don't think I knew that you were going into the arts like this. At that point, were you doing any theater or anything? No, I don't think so. What, what was I doing? What grade were we? Like, I don't even know what grade we were in, but it was high school. It was high school. I was doing drama. However, I was going to school for science and I did go to school for science. Like I went to university for environmental science. So I always dreamt of being a performer. I always loved being funny and making funny faces in the mirror, like a loser and fake crying. And like I did make people laugh, but I wanted to be like a dramatic actress. But that was not really what I decided to pursue because it just I didn't know anyone in my family who had gone into the arts. It just didn't seem like a realistic career move and it seemed too risky. Also, like my family is very much built on very much pushed academics. And me personally, I love a good goal. <laughs> like a way to a goal. Yeah. And I think because it just seemed so murky, like what do you do? You go to theater school and then what? Like I don't understand it. Whereas for me it was like, oh, science, cool, I'll go do that. Then I'll be a doctor slash lawyer, maybe. And so at what point, like after school, did you find your way back into the arts? Haha. <laughs> so I finished school, went back home, miserable, working at a golf course. <laughs> I did that too, for the record. That's a real suburb vibe. Yeah. Right? Like That's the job. The sum- Bringing it back to the suburbs. Yep. Suburb, summer vibe is to go and work at a golf course. So I was doing that. I was miserable and... I decided to audition for like community theater, the Curtain Club. And I think the first audition I ever went to, I did not show up. I like went to the car and then I stopped and I just sat in the parking lot because I was so, so nervous. And then the second one, I finally went in and I read and I got a small part. And that was like, that was kind of the beginning of it. But again, at that time, I knew in my heart I wanted to do it, but I didn't actually have, I think, the guts to pursue it. And around that time, I also started to do like improv at Second City. And I was like, cool, cool. I like this. Or I'll just be a writer. Like that seems more. More attainable goal. Totally. Like I was like, yeah. oh, maybe I'll be a journalist or I'll be a writer or something like that. Feels like I could do that. And then I went to China to work as a copy editor, hilariously. Really? For a year. Yeah. And then I started doing improv in China, which was amazing. Yeah. They had a, a wicked improv scene there. And you're like watching people perform in Mandarin and in English. And it was just beautiful. And I was like, all my friends are trying to be journalists. And I was like, I got to go home and try and be an actor now. Holy. Yeah, it's quite a 
wild ride. Now, just to back it up for anyone who's like, wait, what is Baythorn? Right. The seed of the arts was planted young. Okay, we'll, we'll just put it that way. It was um, a performing arts public school and we had to audition to get in. How stressful was that? So stressful. Oh my God. What did you do? What did you have to do? I don't even remember. Do you remember? I do remember. I okay. sang a song about pizza. I remember Miss Diakinu was like, and this is the only part I remember because this was like in front of so many people and this was like the drama part where she's like, okay, improvise a song now, four lines or five lines or whatever. Go ahead. And then I just like sang some song about pizza. I remember cheese was the rhyming word. I'll never forget. Wow. Because after I was like, what the fuck did I just do? I have no idea. And I was so stressful. And then I got it. It was stressful. I do remember it was stressful, but I found it more stressful, I think, being jealous of other people who were so talented. Once you got in. Once I got in. Yeah. It was not a great space for me in that in that sense as well. I feel like I grew very uh, timid coming out of that arts program, which is very <laughs> weird for me because I was always like the very outgoing kid. And then I did find my way back to being outgoing and spontaneous and all that. But <laughs> there were there were just so many high performing people around that you could get down on yourself really fast. I have to agree. Like I love dancing. I love dancing. And I just always felt like I wasn't good enough. Yes. And I, I didn't make it into like certain dance things for the recital like I would make it into this but not that and I was just sort of like I'm good hard on a kid I swear I'm good and yeah. it was just hard to to sort of reckon with when you're around like friggin people doing aerials at lunchtime yeah you're like oh but I would just be doing aerials and they'd be doing like I was just such a gymnast and I was like look at my roundhouse <laughs> you know yeah I can do a handstand yeah, I feel like you, you could do aerials. You could do no, aerials. No, I could not. I never did an aerial in my life. Maybe like a pirouette or a fouette. That was where it ended. Fouettes. <laughs> what up, fouette? <laughs> anyway, I was very happy to see that you ended up back in the arts, but I was I was almost surprised because I remembered you more from the American Eagle days than the Baythorn days. All of a sudden, you know, I was getting a ton of press releases and stuff through my work over the last few years. And seeing your name, it was like, I need to look up that name. And then as soon as I saw your face, I was like, oh my God, it's Rocky. Yeah. So that was pretty fucking cool. Was I funny? Like, what was I like? Like, I think I was talkative and funny, but I was also pretty shy, I think. At American Eagle, I feel like there were just like a core group of us who worked so many hours that we yeah. had no shame around each other and we were pretty comfortable. Yeah. So I feel like I was always comfortable around you. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. So from theater group and Second City, how did you get into this CBC Gem world and all the credits I read off the top of the show? Yes. Well, I guess how it all started just in general was I was doing a lot of live theater, which I loved. I was in a sketch troupe, which I loved. We performed at Fringe. And I wanted to be doing material that essentially I would need more brown people or I would need a different crew of folks and so I thought to myself and I also wanted to do things that I could film and put online and I think that's kind of where the sketch troupe and I sort of parted a little bit because I decided I was going to go do that and so I started writing a show called Note to Self a web series called Note to Self then I started to film it like the first one I filmed was actually became a short film because it didn't totally I was just trying things. I was like, I want to try this. I'm going to try this. What year was No to Self, by the way? 
I, it was in 2017, 2017, 2018. Okay, so we're talking like six, six, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And like around that time, I was hired by Second City, so I was on their stage performing. So I had like, you know, I was feeling confident. Like, yeah, this is the next step. Yeah, I was like, this is the next step. And then I got a Canadian Screen Award nomination. Yeah. Hello. How it got picked up is someone from CBC came to see the show that I was doing stand-up in. And I think just because I came from a sketch background, whenever I went to do stand-up shows, I was always doing a song or a solo sketch or like a character. So it was sort of different. So in this sense, it played for me because it kind of stood out as something different. And the person from CBC approached me and was like, you know, do you want to do something for us? And I was like, actually... I've been filming these sketches, like this note to self thing, and like, here, let me just show it to you. And they were really impressed, and they put it on their socials, and that's kind of how I think I got started in a way with the CBC folk. And also just like, it gave me a bunch of screen time that like, and gave me a character that I got to play. Like, you audition all the time for these characters who are like, I don't know, something you just don't really, I feel like of 10 to 20 auditions I get maybe three of them I'm like that's me oh I, I got this or I feel this or I'm really this person so it's really nice to just like play something that I got to write and that I felt like oh I want to I want to do this I want to have fun with this and that's um that was like kind of the start of it after that I started booking stuff and I just I sort of changed my lens on how I auditioned instead of trying to do it as what I understood or what I had learned from classes which was like try and do the character I was like I'm gonna show them who I am. I'm a weirdo and I'm going to do a weird thing. I'm going to make a weird choice. I'm going to try something new. And that started to work out for me a little bit. Yeah. Just being a weirdo. Love that. Be a weirdo. Be yourself. Yeah. I was, I was honestly like, I'm just going to try and make this my own because that makes it fun for me. Otherwise, it feels like, I don't know what I'm doing. Did I do this right? Did I do this wrong? And like anytime you're like in your head like that, I mean, I now know this, your performance is tilted. It is, it's tight. You got to be weird and loose and play that's how you make it fun for yourself in note to self you were obviously pulling material from real life oh yeah what was something that you were maybe afraid to share at one point but it felt so good putting it out there in note to self I think a lot of them a couple of them I guess I felt like it was very clear what I was saying I felt very clear about what I was saying and I think because my character plays the fool a lot which I think is quite progressive but I realized that like Having a woman in a sketch play the fool or to to look stupid. Sometimes when I would read the comments, people would be like, oh, a bunch of white guys wrote this or something. And I was yeah. like, no, it's literally called Racky more than it's not itself. Like I wrote, this is something that happened to me. And I think it's funny. Um, for example, like the one where I get my um, my skirt caught in my underwear and someone tells me to pull down my dress. And this happened to me where a guy was like, he was in a car and he was like, pull down your, your dress. And I was like, excuse me, your dress. And I was like, this motherfucker, I'm about to go off on him. I was wearing a cute little dress. Yeah. And then he drives off because the light changes. And I was like, so you better drive off. Yeah. And I go like this with my backpack and realize, oh, my God, my dress has been up. <laughs> my butt was out. My butt was fully out. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the kind words. But also, maybe I wanted my butt to be up. Who knows? I meant it. I meant it. Um, I just think that stuff is really funny. I think really funny things happen to me. And 
you know, when I put it out there, sometimes I would get these reactions where I was not expecting it. And I was like, oh, I thought I was being so clear about what the joke is. I thought I was being like, so clear I'm in about on the joke. I'm in on the joke. I, I will the joke. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was just like, that was a really unique experience to understand that, oh, not everybody is your audience. Like, I think before when I was doing sketch, because we were doing it at a group, we would always just be like, oh, that worked, that didn't work. Or, oh, let's tweak this, let's not tweak this. But like, what do we like? Kind of have a group to really consider it. But when you're working by yourself or writing by yourself, sometimes, or what did happen is that I took it very personally. Oh, yeah. Um, I was like, oh, people don't understand. Am I not being clear? It's like, now I'm like, oh, who cares? I'm showing my butt everywhere. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the social media and like the immediate reactions that we can kind of like track in real time these days when we put out a piece of content, it's um, a blessing and a curse, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. A little bit. So um, what is one of your most beloved characters outside of note to self? Because that's very obviously Rocky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to do this character. This is like a deep cut. I used to have this character that I called Dougie. And he was just like a grade seven hype man that had his own YouTube channel. Like, you know, you've seen this character over and over when you see people do sketch. Um, but I really enjoyed doing Dougie because I don't know what high school you went to, but there was always this guy that would just be like, yo, 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 yo. Wait, what high school did yo. you go to? Richmond High. Okay. I went to Bayview. Yeah. So we're like just a yeah, neighborhood apart. We could know this guy. Who's the guy? Did you know the yo-yo guy? It, it's <laughs> just a guy in a group of like other guys. This is more high school that would just say yo to everything and not actually necessarily always speak words, but was always just like yo. It's like different intonations of yo. And I loved that. I loved it so much. And I loved playing with this character, Dougie, who had his own like little YouTube channel. So funny. And didn't really say much. How has your experience been as like a woman in the public space? Uh, I feel like in comedy, I was doing a lot of live comedy and then I paused a bit because the show really took over in a large way. And it was a huge change for me. But when I was doing live comedy, even sometimes when I go back, I really do notice how much safer I feel around women or like non-binary folks or like queer folks just yeah my people versus like I don't want to say it's like every comedian but sometimes like I you just sort of don't feel connected and that again like I told you how it you kind of get into these spaces of feeling tight and then comedy like it's all about feeling loose and so it's sort of like navigating spaces sometimes feeling you want to go out and you want to do your set but the guy before like this is when I started doing stand-up the guy before just made a bunch of really inappropriate regressive jokes like oh my god I remember this time I went to this NFB um, film showing and I was in one of the films and my friend Joyce directed one of them and it was like women in film these feminist five feminist films and it was beautiful it was wonderful and it was the reception and I was like I'm gonna go run off I'm gonna go do a set at um a comedy place a little bit like midtown and it was it was like I was crestfallen watching of the men before me go and what they were talking about and it's not even like what they were talking about it's like the people were laughing and I was like are we all if you're laughing you agree with this how am I gonna go up and do my set now which 
you probably like the stuff I talk about is is being a woman. It's being brown. It's cultural. There's a lot of jokes about that. And I'm always aware like no one, not everyone's going to get this, but some people will and they'll understand and that's the connection. And at that point, I was kind of like, I want to do me regardless of who the audience is. I was always sort of going back and forth like do i do this joke because this will get the laugh or do i do this joke because i like it and maybe it's someone will connect to it and i don't know like that's just that was such a horrible night in that sense because i just saw the most progressive thing and then the most regressive thing and i was like <laughs> completely messed up i had <laughs> <laughs> took a few days to recover <laughs> oh yeah yeah so i think it's just to go back to your question which is like what is it like it's it's tough it, yeah. it affects I think it affects everyone differently for me it definitely affects my ability to feel confident sometimes it affects how I dress like how do I feel to feel safe um you know that has changed as I continue my career and as I feel more in my in my feet and my shoes and I, I know my worth a bit more I mean a lot more I think and so that'll help what about connecting with other women and maybe like someone who had your back in the early days when you were going through those weird times oh my god you know what I had the best that's the thing I had the best people around me always like my best friend Daphne Joseph we did Second City we were in the same cohort together doing our education uh, family company shows and she and I she had my back constantly she was always making sure that we both got an opportunity to do the improv set at the end for example and that we got our time to shine and that we felt confident and like other women like you know it's not we're not blind to it and so it's nice having these moments with with women where they big you up and they're like don't worry about that and or they just give you a look like you know and you're like i don't know but yeah i think it's the thing i'm so grateful for and i don't think women and like other comedians are always doing it because of the environment like it's also they truly are like you fucking rule like you're good and i say it to uh, women all the time because i'm like this is how i honestly feel yeah you know take the take the pressure and the space energy away from it it's like i don't know i think um i i just feel like really blessed to have really wonderful um women around me yeah yeah. Has there been a piece of advice along the way that stuck out from a woman? You don't know me. <laughs> this is what this is what the advice was. Like this is this is not the advice. This is what my friend said. Yeah. But we we both got information from people who were like, I don't know how I say it. It's like we basically got rejected in a sense. And they were okay. like, Oh, you gotta work on this, you gotta work on that. And I go to my friend Daphne being like, this is what they told me. And she was like, this is what they told me. And she's like, and I was like in my head, you don't know me. I'm doing that stuff. I'm done. You don't know me. Like, you actually don't know me. And I was getting so down on myself. And she was like, girl, you are literally making your own web series. They don't know you. They don't know you. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah. She's like, you know you. And I feel like that has been such a good piece of advice when a lot of times in this world we get in this field you feel like you need to get validation from other people to know your worth or to know that you did it or didn't do it and it's like this constant reminder of like 
Come on, you don't know me. Like, maybe this isn't for you. That's okay, too. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with Lion's Mane Mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Rejection in your business, in my business, like that can be a hard thing to work through complicated feelings, lots of layers. And um, I think how you handle rejection is really the statement piece, right? Right. But has there been a rejection that's led to something that's like so much greater that comes to mind? Where it's like, oh, that thing wasn't supposed to happen anyway. Universe had my back. (laughs) (laughs) There's probably so many. Oh my God, there's a ton. Well, I don't know that it was like necessarily like it read, it led to something greater. But I think what I learned is kind of like sometimes things come to a close and that's okay too. That was like a really interesting creative lesson. I mean, I have failed so much. So many things have like, like the amount of times you audition, you know, get something. It's okay. Like it happens. You get used to it, but it, it totally sucks. Um when I always just, ha- I always go into auditions thinking, I want to show the casting director. I want to introduce myself to these people who are going to watch it. I'm not trying to get this role. So that's my goal always. And I really think about that kind of work in a growth mindset versus like a, yeah, no validation. But I think that one of the key things that kind of ties back to your question is when I was working on a project and it, it stopped, you know, we didn't go further because the network they changed their mandate. It didn't fit within and it just started to fizzle out. And we kept going at it. We were like, fine, we'll find funding from somewhere else. We'll just keep working on it. We'll keep working yeah. on it. We'll keep doing this. And we got to a point in, in my partnership with this person where we were like, this feels heavy now. It feels like also we changed this so many times based on other people's opinions of what it should be, that it is no longer something we stand by. And I'm exhausted by it. And you're exhausted by it. So 
maybe it's time to put these characters to rest and just take this experience for what it is and like let that be it which is a hard thing because it's a lot of times I'm a writer too obviously and you're not gonna get everything made it's not all gonna work out and I've just learned the importance even though it was extremely hard at the time to let go of that all this effort and energy that I put into this project with another person what I got out of it was not necessarily a product but really a huge lesson on how we work together how to work in a professional setting together how to take people's uh, notes how not to like it was very very like I don't want to say it led to something better because obviously I'm still I still mourn that project because like there's a part of me that's just like I love that but those characters are done now that that helped me grow in a different way I'll never know how I couldn't tell you but we should talk a little bit about yeah. Run the Burbs because I think, you know, in this series, we're seeing you sort of like live out someone else's work, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas we were just talking about like your own creative juices flowing in the writing that you've done. So coming into it, first impressions of your fellow cast members and directors, producers, what was it like at the beginning? It was super overwhelming. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh my God, I had no idea what I was doing. And... Yeah, it was it was was stressful, but it was wonderful. I have to say, I was nervous about working with minors, like with the kids. I was nervous about the role because I didn't always feel totally in my footing with it. We were finding out a lot about each other and about the dynamic. I also think you're working with different directors every two to three weeks, which means like once you start to get comfortable, you got a different energy, and all all directors work differently like they really really do some let you do more stuff some have are a little bit more hands-on with you or ask you or some are like wanna... follow the script please <laughs> like exactly yeah <laughs> they're yeah. all like follow the script <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm like let me improvise um yeah. and yeah no 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 so also like there were times like I was a writer in the first season and I was part of the the development of this show so when I got cast, it was like, oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm in a totally different place in this journey and place in this story now. Like you had no intention of getting cast in the series? Like you didn't audition? I did audition. But it was kind of like for funsies? It wasn't like, oh, I'm actually going to get this. I was like, oh, I got an audition. Oh, I got a billion dollars. Let me just audition. And then I didn't hear anything. You know, they actually said initially that they didn't believe that Andrew and I I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but they, but they didn't think that we had chemistry, the, the kind of chemistry that they were looking for, or that they just didn't feel like they saw it. Um, and I was like, cool, whatever. Well, you know, I'm, I'm good to just keep writing. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I love writing. This is great. <laughs> this is great. I'm down. Whatever. Um, and then they, then they came back and they kept auditioning me again and doing more chemistry tests. So I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And then I got cast, and I was like, oh. And like I told you, like, I kind of put my own spin on stuff. So when I was reading it, I had to really separate myself as a writer from the script and then transform myself into the actor, which is like, how do I make, how do I find creativity in these lines, in this structure? And I did that. And I think that really worked to my benefit. But I had to, I had to continue to navigate that while on set in that first season, because there were times where they were really writing the character and developing the character where I was like, let 
make her stronger. Let's make her bolder. What if I say this like this? Like it wasn't always a line change or whatever, but sometimes I would ask like, what do we think about this? Or, or is there a chance that we can amplify this? And those were the kind of conversations I would have with directors. Those were the kind of things I had to kind of prepare for myself and then come to set and, and show because sometimes it's easier to just show them and <laughs> Yeah, ask for forgiveness after. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that works, right? Like, you get a question, yeah, yeah, you get an answer. And yeah. What do you think are the things that you and Camille have in common that you were able to pull out of the script? I think what I really liked about Camille, or what I, I think I actually very much infused Camille with in the first season, and I think in the second season, is this sort of boldness, this sort of. I, I don't know. I really like that she kind of just said what was on her mind and she was really dry and sarcastic. I find I have touches <laughs> of that. Like, I, I do have touches of that. I am a lot lighter, I think, than her in many ways. But I can see, I saw, like, when we were filming how they didn't want that because that's Andrew's character. So it was almost too much in one way. So I had to really bring down my... That's what I learned also for a season. I really had to bring down and play more more the, the straight person whatever like the term is but yeah I think I brought a lot of my true advocacy that I have in, in my life that I and kindness that I I believe I have and loyalty and competitiveness like that nature of me into the into the character and I always tried to infuse a little bit of silly like for you know like the first episodes you don't really get it but then as the episodes as as they were kind of like okay we're underway filming now I was like, okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna make this weird sound now, or I'm gonna like, you know, do something. I would find moments where I could, you know, play Rocky in a little yeah. because it was fun for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there something that you could say that you've learned from working so closely with Andrew Fung along the way? Um, kindness is key. He's really, really kind, and it's comedy, but it is like we are long hours. Everyone's in it together, and I'm always like, you know treat people with kindness it's important and if that's how you want to be treated yeah and he's very um you know has a very hosting sort of energy to him where he like wants to make sure you're okay and welcomed and so that's something that like I really um you know I don't do it in the same way that he does I would say but it's something that I was like that's important to make people feel welcome talk to me about the cultural parts of your relationship on screen with, you know, parallels to real life there and mixed couples and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think um, we're really lucky. I'm really lucky to play a character where I get to actually express my full self. And it's been a really unique, unique experience being hired to do that. Like me not just writing that stuff for myself and doing it, like to be hired to actually play within a role where I'm able to express my cultural background. It's been great working with him as well to learn more about his culture and to learn about how that plays out in um, a couple where they are both coming from different cultural backgrounds. It's just been really, really fun to be able to also infuse my own perspectives and my own authenticity into the character at times, Um, you know, like conversations around scenes, specific scenes. I'll be straight up like there's a in, in season three, there's a episode about Holi and like my family does not celebrate. It. We haven't celebrated it. 
And so that's where I'm like, okay, y'all tell me what this is. Like, you know, I go to the writers. I'm like, you tell me what you were thinking. Or I get to play out something that I haven't experienced, which is really unique and fun. But in previous seasons, there was more of a connection at times to the relationship, for example, with the father. You know, like, oh, I see what he's doing right now. This is this is typical sort of like this is a, t- a typical relationship I would have with a family member, not necessarily my dad, but with a family member that I recognize. And so how can I use authenticity from my life into this? So that's yeah. been really, really unique and interesting. Yeah. And I was just thinking about like Baythorn days when you were auditioning for this art school. Was the fam behind you on that? You know what? My mom is a teacher. She's the one that that pushed it, actually. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She loves it. Because I recently had um, Vivek Shreya on this podcast. Yes. And one of the most beautiful things about her new series is, you know, portraying a relationship between parents mm-hmm. that we don't always see coming out of a brown family, right? Yeah. I think I've had like such a special relationship with my family in that sense that I'll be honest, they were not always like, and I'm not saying not supportive but like passively supportive and there were times where I had to go off and figure it out myself because you have to really really big yourself up to go after a job where it's a no and you know what like I knew there's not at that time there were not a lot of brown people on tv I know all that stuff so you know that's also my parents and their own sort of how they've seen the world how they've been brought up as well so of course that's their own fear for me And I understood that. I think now, after like I started making my own stuff and started to involve them more in the process, you know, like my mom did the food on Note to Self on the set, on the set. Like some of the times she would be doing food or she would come and help and drive stuff and do that. I think once they started to get more involved and I really involved them in the process, did they start to understand what this was and what this meant? But my family has always been worried about financial security and, you know, the arts are not <laughs> infamously. We get this, yes. yes. Not great. Oh, you're talking that. to a girl who went into radio. <laughs> exactly, yeah. My mom, my, my good friend just met my mom the other day. Yeah. And she came over. She knew they had a dog. She brought treats. She brought them a mango and all these other gifts. And they were like, oh, my God, who? like your mom is amazing. My mom's like, ah, my mom. and my mom laughed. And my friend told me, she's like, your mom has leading lady energy. And I was like, <laughs> she really does. She really does. She got it from her mama. She got it from her mama. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell me about that you're working on now that may not be announced? Yeah, I'm working on a writing project with a friend who's a director. Okay. Um, and that's it. I've been working on that for a bit. It's challenging with the show, I, I will say, just because it's so full on. Yeah. And then I don't know about you, but like, how do you rest? Like, I've been really navigating and speaking to other women and people in the industry about what does rest mean for you and how do you rest and rejuvenate because I have to say like it's been a really big learning experience being so full-on on a project and then getting like first season I was absolutely burnt out like and I was just not creative like I literally did not have any creative energy in me whatsoever until like for sure a couple months had passed yeah it wasn't until like I actually went on a trip and left the country that I was like oh I started to feel like myself again so I don't know like That's what I'm working on right now, but I'm really interested in the recovery stage. I'm in the same place, funny enough. Yeah. So, well, I'd love to know how you recover. Yeah. And what you do. So it's funny, like before this, I did a live radio show. 
pretty much all week I have clients before and after the radio show. So I'm on in some sense. It's not a heavy lift. We're not like doing construction over here, but it takes a lot of energy. Oh my God, it's mental. Yeah. And like, and you're hosting it. Like it's you. You drive the interview. Well, and the same way that like, you know, sometimes we'll call it like with your note to self stuff, like what I'm doing, it's a lot of like, it's authentic me that I'm putting out there in the world. So mm-hmm. I want that to be good. And I want that to be something relatable to people, right? Like you spend so much energy just worrying about how to be relatable through acting, through comedy, through radio, through podcasting, through everything. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm toying with the idea of like cutting myself off from like the screens and everything at like an actual cutoff time. I don't do well like shutting the laptop and yeah, do a couple things here, a couple things there. That's sort of, I guess, the advantage of freelance life is, you know, mm-hmm. you can do things all over the time. And if you mm-hmm. go do something in the middle of the day, you can come back and finish up at night. Then, you know, you are into your what's supposed to be rest time, I guess. Yeah, I'm. It's a hard thing when you're, I think it's a really hard thing to be in a specific state too and to like transition out of it. I'm really thinking about these words like transitioning from this space into that space. And what does that look like? Like sacred space, right? Like I would like to get in a habit of being able to leave my laptop here and not bring it with me oh, to my like really? kitchen bar where I'm finishing things up while I'm eating dinner. Like, no, I want to like. Oh my God. I thought I thought I'd tell you that's so funny. So like yesterday I was like, I don't remember a single meal that I ate yesterday because I think I was doing something while I was eating every single meal. And I was like, I don't want to be doing that. I want to you know what food I eat. too much to just <laughs> not be present with it. <laughs> yes. Well, I enjoy that food. Yeah. And I think the idea of letting go of this thought that you're needed at all times, you're not. Mm. And those things that need to be done can get done in the morning. I always try to be like available for everything all the time. So I think that's part of my problem too. I totally, totally feel that. It's about saying no and about saying no for yourself. Also, I'm reading a book on burnout. So that's also helping. I'm like, oh, which one? Which one? Burnout. I think it's called Burnout. It's like burnout with a feminist lens. I'll find it for you. I found it. Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. If you're also burnt out, you can check it out. So, I usually ask women on this podcast their proudest moment because a lot of the stuff that happens in public life is in the spotlight, right? So sometimes there are, you know, you've talked about some of the the harder stuff like rejection, but what is your proudest moment so far? Um, I would say that my proudest moment, honestly, was I threw a party after Note to Self for myself and for the crew where we watched the episodes. And then I also did a show, a slideshow about everyone who was commenting like really haterade sort of comments and I made fun of them with all the people and I was just like why does this guy have anything to say about what we did but it was really cathartic he doesn't know you he doesn't know you he doesn't know me and it was really really cathartic because it just it (laughs) felt like we worked so hard on this thing and we got to really celebrate it and we got to laugh about it in a way that was like this job is so unique it's so special and it can be very empowering. And I felt like it was really a proud moment because we kind of honored everyone who had a part in it. And I really got to honestly honor myself and be like, I I did this, I'm taking ownership for this. And um, and I'm really, really proud. And I was so proud to work with the people I did. Yeah. And it's what put you on the map for all these other projects that have come up. So that's amazing yeah. too. You should be yeah. very proud. Yeah. Thank you. 
The way that I always end this podcast, I always want to, you know, spend a few minutes at the end throwing it to the next gen, women that you love, that you admire, that you think would be great telling their story on this podcast. I mean, I would say Joyce Wong, a friend of mine. She's a director. She's worked in many different spaces and it's really like a very, um, she's an emerging director. She was on all seasons of Run the Birds and did this Amazon show called The Sticky. Um, so I would definitely say her nominated. Who else would I want to hear from? Uh, Vanessa Magic. Vanessa Magic. Do you know Vanessa? I've heard the name. Where have I heard the name? She works in film. She's a director. and She's a director. Okay. And writer. Yeah. Vanessa is fantastic and works more in like experimental sort of film. And I had a discussion with her about, she was shadowing on side and she, we were talking about, I was like, how do you come up with your goals? Like, how do you find what you want to work on next? And she talked to me about how she works in theme. Like she, she's like, this is the next theme. And so, so she's very, very interesting. Those are the people that I, I would love to hear from. Yeah. What about like being a director? I feel like you've got so many good ideas flowing around. Have you ever gone down that road? Yeah, I, yes, I have actually. Funny you should ask. Um, I wrote a short film and I was like, I applied for, you know, the Toronto Arts Council grant and some other grants to make it. I learned from doing and um, I was like, let me try directing. Let me see what that's like. And I assembled the most incredible team of women and folks who I learned so much from while I was doing. And that's a short film that we're like sending out to film festivals now. So hopefully something happens or it gets seen. And that was like a really, really brilliant experience for me. You know, I learned an immense amount. Like directing is hard. It's a lot. It's so much like and it's artistic in a totally different way. And you have to be close, but let go in so many different senses. I think it's a real skill and I'm really in awe of directors. I'm really, really, I love working with directors and I'm really in awe of the collaboration. And that was one thing that like, I know how I like to work with directors and I know I've been watching directors and how they empower other people. And I really try to infuse empowerment and say and collaboration. And so that was a really wonderful, beautiful experience. And actually one person I would like to nominate um, is Gail Yee who was um, the cinematographer, the DP on um, Garrity Cat, which is the short film that I, I wrote and directed. So you should definitely talk to her as well. Okay, so season three of Run the Burbs starts January 9th on CBC Gem. I'm going to have all the information in the show notes. And yeah, we'll have to watch out for this mysterious other project you're working on. You'll have to keep us posted. Yeah, I'll have to let you know. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And it was so nice catching up with you. You too. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's this luck?
This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.